Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. Seems like we were just doing a show last night. So. <laughs> yeah, this week's going by fast. Uh, obviously, we're yeah. yucking up on the fact that we did a Tuesday show this week, and now we're back on course. We'll have a show here tonight on Wednesday, and then we'll have our regular Friday show, and all will seem well and normal with the world. Hope everyone had a happy Halloween and a happy November to everyone. Here we are beginning a new month and carrying over, actually, from that show. It's good we did them one day right after the other because we're going to talk about IQ 10,000. What would we do if we had that kind of processing capability available to us? We ended the show yesterday talking about how the CEO of SoftBank has made this rather startling prediction that robots will have an IQ of 10,000 in 30 years. And we talked a little bit about what that might mean, and we'll, we'll get back into that too. But I thought it would also be fun. Let's just spend some time, you and I, Stephen, brainstorming. Let's say we did have a machine that had an IQ of 10,000. What would we do with it? What problems could we solve with a robot that level of intelligence. Now, I guess the first question we have to ask is, would this be an AGI or would it need to be an AGI? I guess getting back to our discussion on Tuesday, and I think the answer we came up with yesterday is maybe it wouldn't necessarily have to be an AGI. Yeah, if you have a, enough uh, narrow AIs that are somehow coordinated uh, by a uh, maybe – uh, a, a real, um, you know, I, I would say primitive AGI that coordinates them. Uh, I think you got something there that is uh, good enough that you could have something that would function at an extremely high IQ, however you measure that. And so, yeah, I, I don't know that it necessarily requires AGI, but um, you certainly get it if you get AGI. If you if you if you have uh, artificial general intelligence, one of the first things that it would uh, put its attention to is make itself even smarter, right? Right. And uh, then you end up with a, a machine that is recursively or, you know, you get a, you get a cycle of, uh, of intelligence until you get some sort of explosion like this where you got machines that are so far beyond us, we, we don't really understand them anymore. And so right. Well, the, the example I gave about. yesterday was what if we had a machine that was not sentient, it was not a general intelligence, but it was really good at solving economic problems. It was really good at drawing up a model for how the economy could work, and, and we would do well to take its advice because we could actually fix our economy. That's the kind of idea. What if we had this 100 times greater than human intelligence focused even in these narrow areas, which we're going to call narrow areas, but which are huge, massive problems for humanity? What kinds of problems would we like to be able to solve with a robot, that a machine that can think 100 times better than we can in those domains? So I've got a list. You've got a list. Let's just solve the world's problems. What do you say? Sounds great. Okay. Well, I don't want to be all stereotypical or anything, but if you're going to solve the world's problems, what, what's the one you start with? 
Well, <laughs> the first one to feed the world, right? And world hunger, yes. You know, that's. Uh, I don't know how many meetings I've been in where they, oh, well, it's not like we're trying to solve world hunger. Okay, but here we are. Okay, we're trying to solve world hunger. So in case you, in case you join late, yes, that's what, that's what we're going to do. Now, I believe that it might take some greater than human intelligence to solve world hunger. And I'll tell you why I think this. I posted this story. Uh, Philip von Netterveld had posted it, and I thought it was very interesting, and I shared it. In 10 years, the world may not be able to feed itself. A look at our ability to feed ourselves suggests things could, diffi- could get difficult sooner than previously thought. And I'm not terribly interested in the analysis in this story. I think they may have a point. Maybe they don't. I think they probably don't. I think they probably miss out on some things. But, but they're taking a lot into consideration. They're saying, hey, the world is developing economically. A lot more people are eating a lot more different kinds of things than they used to eat. In particular, you've got a lot of meat eaters kind of coming online in China. People who used to eat a lot of grains are now eating a lot of meat, which was never the case before. And so suddenly there's going to be this calorie deficit. There's going to be this inability to provide the amount of food that it's going to take to to keep the world going. I think what this misses is the fact that we consistently upgrade our capability to produce more food. So I don't think a big shortage like that is is likely to occur. We saw this really wonderful story a couple of weeks ago, this tiny country feeds the world, how the Netherlands, not a particularly big country, and not really what you would think of as an agricultural powerhouse, has become this huge exporter of food because they've started doing some really technology-driven farming techniques. But the oh, other yeah, thing we talked about... second talk, only to the United States in food how about uh, that? Uh, exports. And that, you know they're this tiny country up north, outside of, you know, any place that you would consider farmland, right? Uh, right. And, and they're able to do these amazing things because they're, they're farming indoors, right? They are. They're, they're using greenhouses, and they're producing a lot of food. So, so I, think, I think technology can keep up with this, and I think that running out of food is one of those things that just keeps you developing. So I'm not sure that we, we encounter a big new hunger problem in 10 years. But what I think is entirely possible, going back to the conversation we had last week, I think it's entirely possible that 10 years from now there will still be a billion people in the world hungry. And as we discussed, there were a billion people hungry in the world 20 years ago, and there are today. That's why I think we might need some new thinking in order to solve this problem. Because if you read the comments, I I, I was really interested in the comments on this piece. People, for one thing, give me a hard time for linking this Malthusian thing, but I'm like, you know, I don't really believe the Malthus thing. I'm just, I'm interested in, in the issue of whether, how do you get a, a, the billion that we've already got fed? And the discussion that comes up is, well, the world could easily fill itself, but it's not a priority. One person said, we just need to love each other. And I'm not saying these things aren't true. Uh, someone else said it's a distribution problem. Somebody else pointed out that famines are caused by evil dictators who exploit it in order to maintain power. These are all probably true statements. It's true that we probably need to fix distribution. It's true that if people were nice to each other, this wouldn't be as big an issue. It's true that we need to make it a priority. And it's, it's, it's true that in some situations, at least, famines are created artificially by bad actors, by people exploiting a political situation for their benefit. No question. Right. That, that all of those are true. But you know what? I think I heard all those 20 years ago. 
and I think I'll hear all those 10 years from now, right? So it's like, so what's the solution, right? How come we don't figure this out? How come we don't solve this problem? And maybe well, we just I, I need think, a new... I think we're on track to solve this problem. I don't think... I, I think in 10 years, uh, there'll be half as many people in the world hungry as there are now. I think well, I would have thought that 20 that. years ago, though, and, and there's not. There's the exactly well, here's the same why number. I think, here's why I think it's going to happen this time, uh, and, and, and then re- relatively quick, is... The, these uh, some of these remaining places in the world where people suffer uh, from uh, lack of food are are be, are now becoming part of the world economy. They are being brought in. Uh, I mean, once once someone's part of the world economy because they're you know they're plugged in. Um, they you know I, I just at th- at that point distribution networks are built to reach new markets. Right, I mean that, that's that's the reason that you have distribution networks. It's uh, it's to make money, and if there if you know those people are in effect invisible to the world markets right now because they're not plugged in, and 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 uh, I, so you know the, this uh, universal basic power and universal basic internet that we've we've discussed on a few shows recently, Phil. I think that goes a long way towards solving some problems that would lead to uh, a great reduction in world hunger. Um, that's just me. I'm, I, maybe I'm being naive, but I, that's... I, I well, here's what I'm going to do, Stephen. I'm, I'm going to take yep. your comment, and I'm going to put it right in there, okay, as I've heard it before, okay? That's, that's my problem, yep. right? It, it's yep. like 20 years ago, I would have thought, well, progress by surely by now will have cut that number in half. And, and we have not seen... One of the things we talked about, we've seen huge economic development, and yet still not the progress we would have liked. And I'm optimistic too. And I hope you're right. Right. Not to say that I'm rooting on a billion people still being hungry 10 years from now. I'm hoping that we really do make that leap, but it's possible that we've got structures in, for example, when you say, you know, when someone says, well, it's just distribution. It's like, well, yeah, I guess it is. So what do we do? Right. Um, You know, it's just that people don't care about each other. Okay. So, what do we do? You know, how do we get how do we get people to care about each other? When you say it's just distribution, that's true. But you know, all the food that gets wasted in this country was never ever going to reach the hungry people. Oh yeah. So it's not yeah. it, it, it's the, not like the, we're uh, ever going to dis- distribute it differently, right? Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's sort of like uh, you know uh, clean your plate. There are people starving in you know name the country. That <laughs> that's right. Help yeah. them. You know, That's right. Yeah. Me cleaning my if I plate. get if I develop a lifelong weight problem, it doesn't help them one bit, right? The, the, right? the fact that we have all this food and we basically throw it away is never going to help them. Something else actually has to happen. So, so we may not need intelligence a hundred times greater than what we currently have, but I think we need some smarter thinking than we've had up to this point, probably to yeah. solve this particular problem. And anyway, if we had a machine that was uh, had an IQ of 10,000, this would be one of the first problems I'd give it. Hey, how do we fix this sooner rather than later? Okay, that's my first entry. Stephen, what do you got? Okay. I, I'm, I'm uh, going to just throw in uh, autonomous, uh, excuse me, autonomically precise manufacturing, and I just butchered that. But it, basically it's the production of uh, anything uh, at the uh, level of, uh, of, of atoms, right? I right. Mean, instead of us taking something and whittling it down into the product we like, reductive manufacturing, this is additive manufacturing uh, from the molecular level. So you get exactly what you want. And it could be, you know, so it could be drugs. You know, if you need a particular chemical compound that can't be found in nature to do something, 
then uh, you, you, or you could do that. Or if it's a particular exotic material that would be very difficult to get out any other way. Uh, you know, if you, if you need uh, carbon nanotubes in, in large quantities, uh, you, you do something like this with, uh, you know, atom, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say APM, okay? Um, mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm having trouble pronouncing that. But Atomically anyway, precise that is, manufacturing. You know what we mean? Real nanotech. That's what you're talking about, the real thing. Real, right? Yeah, real nanotech where you're just you're building it down at that level to get exactly what you want. Right. And uh, so... Yeah, you get that. I think with uh, you know machines that are super smart would be a. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily say it's a prerequisite, but man, wouldn't it be an enabling technology to get that? And um, and then you know, and and in turn, I guess your uh, this this sort of manufacturing could in turn make give you smarter machines too. So um, yeah, I, I and this would enable so many things, Bill. I mean, you you want a. Uh, you want a space elevator? You get it with this, right? Right. Um, In um, fact, no. you know, if you go all the way back to engines of creation, Eric Drexler talked about the question of which do you get first? Do you get artificial intelligence, which helps bring about true nanotechnology, or do you get true nanotechnology, which creates these super sophisticated, super fast molecular computers that helps you get to AI? And it was not a settled question. Well, not too long ago, Christine Peterson was on the 80,000 Hours podcast talking about this, and she says, maybe AI's got the lead here. That in fact, maybe we're going to make big progress in artificial intelligence first, and that's going to enable us to get to what you're describing, right? This, this yeah. full nanotech economy. Just to put in a plug, we're going to be talking to Christine all week next week, so we'll be sure to come back to that particular question. But I think it's I think it's an important one. How much intelligence does it take to implement atomically precise manufacturing on the planet? Well, if it's just a question of intelligence, we don't have it yet because we haven't done it yet. And surely, if we could, we would have done it, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about something that'd be useful for practically everything. Yes, we would have done it. And um, so, no, we haven't done it yet. And so, I, you know, as far as which we get first, uh, to some extent, uh, the technologies seem to be growing up together, um, but uh, and enabling one another as as one uh, as, as we make advances in material sciences, we get advances in you know and in, in machines and then vice versa. But it's just um, you know, I think uh, I think Christine may be correct that right now maybe AI is in the lead, and we we get the super smart machines that give us this, and so you know. I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, I'm glad you think she's correct, because if you disagreed, I guess you'd have to be all in her face when we talk to her next week, right? That would, that would be awkward. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad I can I can be a good host and not, you know. Yeah, you know, always having to set Ray Kurzweil and people like that straight on things. You know, it's like, look, here's how it really No, I think she may be onto something, too. I look forward to exploring that with her further. And that is a big one. I Let me just second your choice, okay? Because I think that is a problem that we very much want to solve. That is a kind of next step in our management of the material universe that we need to get to. This is something we need to be able to do. We need to be able to basically control matter at the atomic level, and we're not there yet. And if we could get there, a lot of things would work a lot better, and we would have access to materials. We would have access to 
goods and services capabilities that we can imagine, but we don't have yet. So um, I, I see you've got flying cars listed as one of your items. Is, is that a separate item, or does that fall under atomically precise manufacturing? Because let me tell you, it would help a lot. It would, it would certainly help. Any diff and and I, I list uh, flying cars as a difficult engineering problem. Why, and why is that? Because you know the, the best car. You know you you do things to get the very best car. That's right. almost the exact opposite of what you would do to get the very best airplane. You know right. a, a car is made uh, to go fast, but stay on the ground. It's uh, you know the most exotic sports cars are built like a upside down wheel so that you don't go into the air by going fast, right? Um, it, it, it pushes you down instead. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a tricky engineering problem to have a good car that is also a good airplane. And, uh, you know, with, with, uh, a, you know, with a, a super smart AI, right, you can help, it helps you find the sweet spot. In, in difficult engineering problems like that, and I'm just using that as an example. But yeah, that's, you know, a, that's a good example. If you think about some of our other futuristic technologies, you think about, for example, going back to atomically precise manufacturing, you think about the universal replicator. Obviously, we're going to need more than just atomically precise manufacturing to have a machine like that one day, and I believe we will have it one day. It's going to take tremendous intelligence to design a machine that can do that, particularly one that can replicate itself. Right? When we have the universal right. assembler that can make itself, that will be the beginning of a new epoch for humanity. And I think it, 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 would, it would take some really advanced intelligence to design and deploy a system like that. So that, yeah. that, that would be kind of a next step after atomically precise manufacturing, I suppose. That's right. That's right. So yeah, and and so flying cars does feed into uh, that, but uh, you know it does flow from that, but it certainly also flows from uh, the ten thousand IQ machine. But what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that that yeah. machine. You know, the, give us give us the ten thousand, give us the IQ of ten thousand, and we can get we can achieve atomically precise manufacturing, and from there we can even turn that into maybe a universal assembler or another technology. Think about this. We've talked about it a lot. We've had Jay Storrs Hall on the show. We've talked about utility fog, swarms right. of tiny drones that can take any shape, that can solve any problem. It's going to take tremendous intelligence, I think, to drive those kinds of technologies. Whenever we talk about these amazing nanotechnology enabled solutions that we look forward to using at some point in the future, we're almost always talking about things that have had a tremendous amount of intelligence embedded into them. And yeah, I think, I, I think our machine with IQ 10,000 would be great for all of that stuff. Maybe more importantly, though, to swing it back, uh, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves with our, with our flying cars and our utility fog and our universal assemblers. Uh, taking one step up from world hunger, what about this all-important transition from an employment economy to whatever comes after an employment economy, right? a post-employment economy. I like to talk about a post-scarcity economy, an economy where we've all got everything we want, and that starts to feel like maybe one that involves universal assemblers and other bits of, of technology, but maybe that would be the one to do, right? If, you could, if it's a genie in a bottle, right? Okay, here's your 10, here's your 10,000 IQ machine. You can ask it one question. What's the question? I think the one I might ask is, how do we transition from employment economy to post-scarcity? Because I think that's one we're really going to be dealing with in the next few years. And I'm confident that we're going to end up in an economy that is not 
human employment based in the same way that our current economy is or that economies have been in the past. But I still don't have any idea what it looks like, and I still don't have any idea how it works, right? So right. Um, if, if even 10 times smarter than this, uh, IQ 1000 wants to come along and help solve that problem, I think that would be, that would be very helpful. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, and that's and I'd kind of listed uh, my, my I'd put it down everybody rich, you know. I mean that's uh, <laughs> uh, to just boil it down to uh, the most base level, right? It's uh, it's this idea that you know it's the billionaires know, part of the sexy immortal billionaires, Stephen. That's yeah. what it is. It, it, yeah. it, it, you know, there's such abundance that you know you just can't help but get rich. You know, right. I mean that's the that's the idea of, of the world we're talking about here is that. Uh, you know, you're, you know, you might, you, you know, you might be the biggest bum in the world right now, but in this world that we're talking about, you're, you're still rich, at least by comparison to, uh, to the people today, right? Uh, yes. you, might, you might still be looked down on. He's a, he's a mere billionaire, Phil. Can you believe that? What a bum. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, but it's true. You think about it. Out, yeah. in, out in nature and traditionally leading up to this time, what is the base state of humanity? It is destitution, right? It right, is right. one meal away from starvation, pretty much. I mean, all of civilization has been pretty much developed to try to curb that, but we're well, poor. And if you don't believe that, just to, you know, ask yourself, why do we have an, uh, an obesity problem now? It's because yeah. our bodies are built to hoard every calorie. Right, right. Because we are descendants of the survivors of famines. Right. So, exactly. You know, the the guy that could put on a little extra weight, you know, when he when he found something sweet to eat, he's he's the guy that lived to have children, and uh, and and the uh, skinny guy did not. And so, yeah, that's and, you know, so we got a bit of a problem now. And uh, so maybe that's another thing, uh, Phil, that the uh, the smart machine can help us with solve problems like obesity and obesity. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would be good. Well, you've got, you've got another one up there that we'll get to in just a minute yeah. that I think is, is closely related to obesity, but just to stick, just to stick to this one for a moment, because I, I really like the, I really like the thinking uh, that, that you outlined there. You know, if you, if you can go from the base state of humanity being absolute destitution, because it's not currently in the West, right? If you just do nothing, what happens? You know, I guess maybe you end up in a shelter, right? And if, you, if, if you're a free thinker and you just don't want to be in a shelter, you end up living under a bridge or something. But most people actually can scrap together a pretty good life just living on the edges of industrial society, at least in, in the West. And, and I don't say any of that to suggest that life is easy for poor people or that they've got it good or that that's a good way to be or anything like that. Poverty is a horrible thing, but you're a lot better off you know what I'm saying? You'd be a lot better and off in a major well, city trying to scrap poorest, together with nothing than you would be out in the in, in the veldt, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. The, you, the 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 poorest among us are doing better than the cavemen. Uh, right. Then, exactly. Now, what if then, you, what if you just took that farther, right? And you said, okay, well, that's a better base state than than the caveman, but we're going to improve that, and the base state is a billionaire, right? So, so the, if you do nothing, you're a billionaire. And to your point. But if you really work at it, then you can get somewhere in this life, right? Now, it's, it's, <laughs> you can actually, you know, you can actually get some money, you know. If, if you, you get a few breaks, off. yeah, you know, you might uh, <laughs> get lucky you might amount to something. That's and right. that that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that's really what post scarcity is. That's the idea behind post scarcity: is that we 
is that we once and for all transcend th this material limitation that we've lived with forever that has defined economy for us and defined so much of really how we put together our picture of reality. And it's almost a scary idea. Going back to yesterday's show, right? Here's your scary idea, right? What's the world like when people don't have to try, when they don't have to do anything? Does life become meaningless? Is, is, is there any point in doing anything? I think I would find a point. I think I'd be okay. You, you give me a, give me a billion and let me try. I guess is always my. Well, I mean, you 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 know, there you you might uh, join Elon Musk and and build your own space program. You know, there's just a, you, you, your goals would change if exactly. you had unlimited resources. You'd just be pushing for new horizons that we don't even think about today. Indeed, and and I, and, and although I think we're going to end up there, I think we've got a really rocky road to get there. Because right. the, the handoff between everybody has to work to everybody's a billionaire is a mysterious, confusing, dark process. And if I were going to ask the IQ machine how to solve any problem, the 10,000 IQ machine, I think, I think I would give it that one. But you have one up here that might be the one, that might be the one no. actually to ask. What's, what's our final topic here? Um, machine, how do I live forever? Exactly. Anti-aging. Make, make, make me thin. Make me healthy. Make me uh, the best Stephen that could possibly be, right? Um, as, as if I spent six hours a day working out and, and, and I was perpetually 25 years old. Right. Um, you know, because then, the even on. if it takes a while to get through that long, arduous process, you'll still be around at the end of it, right? That's, That's right. To enjoy it. That's right. Be around to enjoy right. post-scarcity. You want to live to see it, after all. That is kind of... Uh, that's a pretty good phrase. I've got to remember that. Uh, that, that, that kind of works. <laughs> to coin a phrase, that's right. I think there, there is a growing urgency around, around that one. How do we fix aging? For those of us who have gone north of 50, and I think for people who go north of 60 and north of 70, you, know, you start to see, well, if we're ever going to do anything about this, maybe now would be a good time. And now is a good time because there is progress being made. But is it going to be enough? Will it be fast enough to help a lot of the people who are looking for it and hoping for it to help? I don't know. I think you might be onto something, Stephen. That might that would that would be an excellent application for very smart, very advanced intelligence. How do we get to well, this faster? You know, and and we're we're seeing some progress even before we get that ten thousand IQ machine. So I, I got to think that the the ten thousand IQ machine gets us gets us that. But because, yes. uh, you know, um, article in Scientific American, uh, to stay young, kill zombie cells. Uh, they, basically, the idea there is that, you know, we have uh, cells in our body that are not doing their job, and yet they don't die and leave like they should. They just hang around, taking up resources and not, not doing what they should. And, uh, um, and that's, you know, uh, there's, they, you know, have, have various things that they can do, uh, including drugs and things that they put into rats and they, they've seen remarkable progress in, uh, in de-aging, uh, older mice with, uh, with this simple method of just, uh, flushing these old cells out of their body. Clear out the undead sure. cells and suddenly right. you've got a much more vital, much more living organism on your hands. That's right. So uh, maybe that's part of the solution to the problem. Is it fair to say younger? Is it a younger organism? Is it, does the rat actually Seems become... Seems to be. It, it certainly yeah. behaves like it. it, it you know, their, their, their skin is more subtle. They, uh, you know, they, if, if they've begun to gray, sometimes their uh, fur goes back to brown, and they, they seem lively and, you know, just like a younger version of themselves. 
So, hey, I'm I'm all about that. <laughs> and uh, can can they eat pizza without having to deal with it all that night and all the next day? Or <laughs> I'm asking yeah, for a friend. Okay, I, it's not yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, not, not not for anyone. In, you know, as part of this conversation. Well, yeah, you know, I'm worried about the rats. Is what is my point? I'm concerned. <laughs> they have to that. find it in the maze first, I guess. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hey. When do we get to start taking that, right? You know, I mean, yeah. the thing is, if there's a gap between doing that to a small extent with some rats and making that regularly available to, I don't know, say me, uh, that's right. a gap I'd like to close. And if a, if if super intelligence can get us there, then great. Well, you know what, Stephen? I don't feel like we solved the world's problems, but we definitely pointed to some good ideas for what a really smart computer could do to solve the world's problems. What makes let me, me ask you one let okay. me ask you one provocative question before we close it out, Bill. Absolutely, go ahead. Is it possible though that this you know what we're describing is a dystopian future where there's no possibility that we could have, make uh, decisions about our lives that would be as good for us as the machine. Therefore the machine makes all of our decisions for us. It, is that a form of uh, you know, maybe we're really healthy prisoners. We're, you know, at that point. Well, I, I look at, there's a couple ways of looking at that. First off, yeah, maybe. Okay. Let's, let's, let's follow that course of thought just for a moment. Okay. Let's say, going back to my example from Tuesday, if the machine actually could run the economy better than us, and we're not just talking about giving people jobs and everybody having money, which is kind of what we've been touching here on here, but also things like preventing wars and stuff. Would we let it? Yeah. I'd say let it, right? You know, if it, would, if it would keep us alive and keep us healthy, I'd say let it. Granted, we are then kind of admitting that it's better than us and it gets to run us. On the other hand, if we remain autonomous, all we've really done is we've allowed that machine to solve some problems for us, right? You know, and it's, we're no more slaves to that than we are slaves to our homes, you know, I have to mow my lawn. I, you know, I, I, I have possessions that require me to do certain things in order to keep those possessions. In some ways, it feels like they're in charge of me, but actually, I'm still autonomous, right? I'm, I'm still making right. my own decisions. As long as it's not telling me what to do, and I guess it would be in my scenario, as long as I don't mind it telling me what to do, <laughs> I think I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know, as long as it's not it's, telling me to do something really a, stupid. It's a bit of a slippery slope, though. I yeah, mean, that, I, that I just don't want to do. But the other thing I was going to say, Actually, before you brought up that provocative question is, the reason I have a lot of hope for the future is that even if we don't get to IQ 10,000 this month, next year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I think we're going to make tremendous progress in every one of those areas. I think we can do it ourselves or ourselves with maybe a little bit of computer help, but without a magic godlike computer stepping in. And whether it's better to have a magic godlike computer to step in or whether it's better for us to do it, I guess we'll have to leave that to a conversation for another day. I, I, I'm just happy to say that I think we're going to make progress one way or the other. I, I agree. I agree. And with that, we have to wrap it up. But that's okay. We're going to be back on Friday. It's not a show tomorrow. Now, for those who are tracking, we, we did a show two days in a row, but now we're taking Thursday off as normal. We'll be back on Friday with a brand new show. We're going to talk about some fun space stuff. And, of course, we're going to geek out. Stephen, been great talking with you. It's been great having you all with us. And we look forward to talking with you again on Friday. And until then, live to see it. <laughs>